is Justin Ford for From the Frontline. Tonight we are dealing with Remembering God's Smuggler, Brother Andrew. In the studio with me is Dr. Peter Hammond, the founder of Frontline Fellowship, who has been involved in serving persecuted Christians for over 40 years in 38 countries. Brother Andrew, known as God's Smuggler, passed into eternity on Tuesday, 27th of September 2022, at the age of 94. Who was Brother Andrew, Dr. Hammond? His name was Andrew van der Beel, uh, but throughout the world he is known as Brother Andrew God Smuggler. He was a Dutch Christian missionary who dedicated his life to smuggling Bibles to persecute Christians behind the Iron Curtains in communist Eastern Europe. Uh, during the Second World War, he had been a youngster in occupied Netherlands, and after the war, uh, he joined the Dutch army and fought as a commando in the Indonesian war in what was then known as Dutch East Indies, which is now known as Indonesia, and uh, was uh, quite severely wounded in, in the conflict there. He was actually quite a wild person uh, in the military. He said he cared for nothing except his monkey that he adopted or uh, purchased. And um, uh, he wore a yellow straw hat, uh, almost like encouraging the snipers and ambushers to target him. And uh, he was uh, quite brutal um, as a soldier from his accounts. And uh, he got shot uh, so badly that they said he would never walk again without the aid of a cane. And uh, uh, amazing how he came to the Lord uh, through his rehabilitation, because while he is being rehabilitated, and he is quite bitter, of course, um, he turned to his Bible, which his mother had given him, and he had to dig in the bottom of his huge kit bag to find it because he had never read it before. He got injured in his and then, and then there was a Christian nurse in particular that challenged him to think about his eternal soul. There was also a young girl back in Netherlands that he corresponded with who helped guide him to the position where he actually surrendered his life to the Lord. So through the Bible, through correspondence, through a God-honoring nurse, he came to the Lord and was pretty soon guided to dedicate his life to taking Bibles to those who were forbidden Bibles behind Iron Curtain. Um, did he Did he ever um, marry? He did, yes. Uh, in fact, it's quite extraordinary to, to get uh, the, the story of, of um, this because um, there was a young girl that he'd been corresponding with while he is a uh, soldier, and he was able to write to all sorts of hideous things that he is doing and experiencing and seeing, and she was a steadfast Christian witness and she supported him uh, even when he was an absolute um, drunkard heathen. And uh, But when he got converted and then he got healed, she got quite irate over the fact that he was claiming miraculous healing and that he was being a religious fanatic. And when he wanted to be involved in full-time Christian work, um, going in with a... Uh, he got his studies with actually WEC, Worldwide Evangelization Crusade, which is a faith mission, and they weren't a denominational mission. And she was a very strong denominational Christian and uh, was horrified and therefore cut all ties with him simply because he, he was living by faith and he wasn't going through a proper denominational college and he was with one of these weird Christian cults um, who believed in healing and things like that. So sadly, uh, that did not end up well, but he he uh, uh, met Corrie, who became his lifelong co-worker, partner, wife, and um, uh, Corey actually only went to be with the Lord in 2018. So Andrew survived his wife by four years. 
What led uh, to Brother Andrew launching out into Bible smuggling across the Iron Curtain into Eastern Europe? Well, interestingly enough, communists led him to do it because he bumped into communists in the Netherlands who were absolutely convinced that the Netherlands would be so much better under the Soviet Union-style communist body. And uh, so they encouraged him to come all the way to uh, Prague in Czechoslovakia for a youth conference. And at this youth conference, uh, obviously it was the communist youth and communist youth of the world unite, so you've nothing to lose but your change, you've a world to win, all that sort of thing. And so, uh, well, the communists were actually going to pay for his train fares, his accommodation there and all the rest. So he decided, fair enough, uh, he took the invitation and he loaded up Christian books and some Bibles in his suitcase uh, to take in there. And uh, when he got there, he was astounded to find he actually had no real freedoms. He had to stay rigidly in this um, program where they very much determined what you saw, where you went, who you met. And uh, so he actually had to uh, break away from the team uh, for a day. And he thought, well, there's so many people here so that he could find some Christians and, and put Bibles in hands. Well, he got, he got expelled for doing this because uh, there was a person assigned to just him. And uh, they were searching the city to try and find him, and they caught it, caught up with him in a, a restaurant someplace. And it was obviously very serious what he had done. They were awfully um, uh, irate. And I think they even had worked out the fact that he had distributed some Christian literature. So he realized this is very, very serious. And it's so hard for people to get Bibles and the reactions he got, he realized, I've got to come back again. And uh, so uh, interestingly, it was the communists who got him into Eastern Europe because they thought they could recruit him for the communist cause. But it was a Christian there who showed him a passage in the Bible that um, from Revelation uh, 3 that uh, what was there was weak and about to die and that God has set before you an open door which no man can close and encourage him, you must come back. So uh, in Eastern Europe he met some dedicated Christians and one particular gave him this passage from Revelation 3 verse 8 uh, that he must take that open door and come back because it was weak and it was about to die and the church in Eastern Europe was under relentless pressure and he could see it, state-controlled churches, state-controlled ministers, state-controlled theological seminaries uh, and the people all terrified and afraid and, uh, and most of all without Bibles. How did you come to meet Brother Andrew? Well, it was the first mission I worked for, Hospital Christian Fellowship. Interestingly, while the very first missionary I'd ever heard uh, came past church shortly after I'd been converted, Francis Grimm, he was a founder of Hospital Christian Fellowship. And as Francis Grimm said, more people pass through the hospitals of the world than through the churches. And uh, he put forward the vision of reaching and teaching and training and equipping medical professionals, doctors, nurses, pharmacists, so that when patients come through, they can be evangelizing and discipling patients and also other medical professionals. And uh, interestingly enough, because Brother Andrew was converted in hospital while recuperating himself, he became a board member for Hospital Christian Fellowship. So there it was as a brand new missionary in training being mentored under Francis Grimm in Kempton Park. And who should come through the door? Brother Andrew himself, God smuggler, and he was taking devotions. And so uh, there I was able to meet uh, this legendary missionary um, uh, in our uh, small mission headquarters in Kempton Park. And so uh, during this time, it, it, was, it was quite impressive because Brother Andrew reminded us that, uh, yes, communists can close down churches, but they cannot close hospitals. So what we've got to do is make sure every hospital is effectively a mission base, which is a very good vision. 
You could see why Francis Grimm and Brother Andrew got on so well. He also said, God has placed you, South Africans, at the foot of Africa to take the gospel of Christ throughout Africa. The continent of Africa is the special missionary responsibility of the church in South Africa. You have the manpower and the materials to fulfill the Great Commission throughout Africa. So he gave a great strong vision which totally dovetailed with Hospital Christian Fellowships and ideology for South Africa. And that was what even called me into missions because Francis Grimm wrote the book An Ideology for South Africa, which had a picture of Tabe Mountain with a white hand, a black hand, a brown hand holding a cross in front of the South African flag uh, with Tabe Mountain behind and had the quotes from the prayer of Jan van Riebeck when he landed in Table Bay, April 1652. May God cause this outpost here in Table Bay to be for the spreading of the light of the Reformed faith throughout the continent of Africa and, and really wonderful uh, uh, prayer. And uh, so I could see, yes, this confirmation of what was God was calling us to. Well, also during this message at Hospital Christian Fellowship Devotions, Brother Andrew mentioned the spectacular growth of Christians in China. The unregistered church movement in communist China, the house churches, were growing so fast that there was a desperate need for Bibles. And our first Christians, these Christians in China, because to be honest, in the 1970s, nobody believed there was Christians in China. I remember... Uh, it was generally believed when I was converted that all the church in China had been exterminated by the great cultural revolution of Mao Zedong. There were no Christians in China. I mean, all the missionaries had been kicked out in 1949. And as far as you know, all the Christians had been killed in the 1960s. So uh, this was quite strange. And, and Brother Andrew says, no, we believe there are millions of Christians in China, which seemed hard to believe. I mean, there were three million there before the revolution. There sure weren't any afterwards. But he said, no, no, there, there's so many... And he said, uh, there are a few churches allowed to operate, and they're called the three self-churches. And the three self-churches were government-controlled churches. Now, if you were a member of the three church, uh, the three self-church, government-controlled church, a registered church, you could get a Bible. It was a very, very archaic old translation, and Chinese had modernized the language, so very few people could actually speak uh, that old language anymore, not the young people anyway. And you had to register for this and apply for it, uh, just like you would for a firearm license in a, a heavily restricted country like Europe. And, uh, of course, illegal uh, underground churches could not apply and would not because they wouldn't risk their life and and uh, um, limb to go through this registration process and make themselves known to the um, secret police. So he made it clear there's no alternative. Millions of Bibles have to be smuggled to Red China. And so his organization, Open Doors, was preparing for the biggest Bible smuggling operation ever, a million Bibles to be smuggled onto a beach in Red China and they'd organized the distributors on the other side. What an operation. And I sat there thinking, this sounds impossible. I mean, how could this be done? Interesting enough, when I came back after my two years missionary military service, which was more like missionary service, um, who was the guest speaker at one of the first... Um, Devotions at HGF after return. Brother Andrew again, he is reporting on the success of Operation Pool, where they had in 1980 smuggled in a full million Bibles and only a few thousand had been intercepted, but most had had found their way to, to the villages where they were needed. And, you know, massive operation. So, um, well, after devotions, Francis Grimm introduced me to God's smuggler and said, this young man is about to be called up for his national service with the South African army. And so Brother Andrew fixed his piercing blue eyes on mine and he said, young man, when God says duck, duck, don't ask why or when, just duck or a bullet will go where your head was. And 
that was it. That's all he said to me. And uh, through the coming months and years, I've often had cause to remember this admonition from Brother Andrew, don't hesitate when God guides you to do it. Do it. And uh, I was thinking, why did he tell me that? And it was only in the army that I started to read the book, God Smuggler. I mean, I was a brand new Christian at the time. And that I discovered his experience in the Netherlands military fighting in the Dutch East Indies and getting shot up in Indonesia. So I understood why he had given me that admonition when God says duck, duck. Yeah, you preempted my next question. Um, oh. It seems that you you knew him by reputation when you first met him. You hadn't read his uh, book. Yes, I mean, we'd all heard of God Smuggler. And I'd actually seen a comic uh, on God Smuggler, but I, I hadn't actually gotten the book yet. So I got the book uh, just before that, and that, that was um, absolutely uh, tremendous uh, going through that book. And uh, I can still remember uh, virtually every paragraph and uh, chapter of the book. Uh, it, it made such an impact on me, even though it was 43 years ago that I would have read it. And did you say you would read it in the army? Yes. Um, as you met Brother Andrew on a number of occasions, what was your impression of him? He's a very energetic uh, person, very intense. Uh, he was uh, a very outgoing, obviously somebody who um, was very strongly energized. I was I was impressed by his whole demeanor. He he plainly believes in be, in living by faith. He's got a lot of testimonies of how. God spoke to him, God led him, how God provided, how he laid fleeces, how this was provided, how the exact amount of money for this and that. So he he definitely believes in healing. He definitely has experienced healing. He believes in guidance. He has experienced God's provision. And he epitomized to me a lot of what Hudson Taylor taught. And Hudson Taylor was required reading at uh, uh, Hospital Christian Fellowship because HEF also sought to be a, a faith mission. And, uh, for example, when he went to WIC, the, the Bible college, uh, the students were required to go on speaking to us, but they weren't given any funding or money for it. Well, except for they were given a pound, one pound, British pound, to start with. But they had to return that pound when they got back. And so everything had to be by, by uh, living by faith, which uh, is quite extraordinary. Well, <laughs> I was taught the same kind of uh, operation by Hospital Christian Fellowship. In my whole time in HCF, uh, both before and after the army, um, I think I was given 10 rand uh, in total and two five rand notes at two different occasions. That was it, five rand, five rand. Um, and that was it. The rest of the time, I had to go on speaking tours around the country. I had to go and represent uh, hot publishers, market the books, get to the bookshops. And, you know, all over the country, different provinces, hitchhiking tens of thousands of kilometers without um, any means of provision. And uh, that meant I slept in parks and I slept in my sleeping bag on the side of the road and in police cells, um, not because I'd done anything wrong, but it was raining and I asked the police for if I could have a cell and they, they would very happily give that open up. The, uh, they left the, the, the door open, which is very nice. Uh, but interesting enough, the police cells, clean linen, clean blankets, clean pillowcases. So I, I don't know what it would be like now, but um, uh, uh, so I... I slept all over the place. I slept in churches and so on, wherever. And interesting enough, back in the 1970s, churches weren't locked at night. Many churches, like Anglican Church, would be open uh, at all hours. And I could literally walk in and go and sleep on a carpet or on a pew um, uh, to get out of the rain elements. Um, but I hitchhiked around the country. I did a lot of walking. And uh, we had to raise our own support, which meant we had to trust God. Well, Brother Andrew had lots and lots of stories of God's provision on, on great and small issues. 
So he definitely was someone who believed in uh, walking with the Lord, being guided by the Lord, and um, God's servant is God's responsibility. That's quoting Hudson Taylor again. And God's servant, um, uh, God's work done God's way will not lack God's supply. So uh, plainly, um, the whole pr- point is that where God guides you, he will provide for you. Was brother was Andrew his uh, real name, or was Brother Andrew a pseudonym to protect yes. him? Yes, well, actually, he was baptized Anna. Um, uh, and so in, uh, he was always known as Andy by his friends. And Andrew is uh, what um, uh, was his correct name? Andrew van der Baal. Um, so in Eastern Europe, they always tend to only use first names. In fact, that's why in our mission, even being a mission to persecute church, we tend to use first names only. Uh, in most situations. So when we're introducing our folks in the field, it's, you know, uh, it's Brother Peter and that's Brother Paul and uh, Brother Timothy and so on. And so that's pretty standard. My father-in-law was known as Fratelli Bill or Brother Bill in Eastern Europe as well. Uh, that, that's um, pretty standard practice in Eastern Europe. They don't want to know too many details. They don't want your surnames and things like that. It can endanger the persecuted church. Your wife, Lenora, also knew Brother Andrew very well. What was her perception of him? Yes, well, uh, Lenora uh, grew up in Austria in uh, Grossgemein, which is a small little village not far from Salzburg. And uh, her father was a missionary to Eastern Europe uh, throughout her upbringing. And in fact, he put 67 years into serving the persecuted church worldwide. Bill Bathman ministered in over 114 countries around the world, but mainly in Eastern Europe. So his home in Grosgemeinde was like the guest house for missionaries going in and out of Eastern Europe, going behind the Iron Curtain of coming back. And so regularly, Lenora would have people like Brother Andrew or Richard Vaughnbrandt or George Verver around the dining room table. And so she got to know Brother Andrew growing up and uh, in, in Austria. And uh, sometimes she'd be woken up in the middle of the night and told to move her bedding into the lounge because uh, Brother Andrew needed her bed or something like that uh, passing through. So um, <laughs> they were they were real guest house. In fact, their, their home became known as the Rosenhof. And um, uh, it, it was the uh, the Pioneers Missions headquarters that Bill Bathman set up. And so she knew Brother Andrew well. In fact, my wife, Lenora, was going behind Iron Curtain with her father from age four. And she understood smuggling uh, principles and how when people phone you, you don't give information on the phone, <laughs> unsolicited. You know, if they say, who's talking? She says, well, who would you like to speak to? <laughs> and um, as, uh, she wouldn't give information over the phone because it could be uh, the enemy. And uh, so they were very security conscious from the beginning. And she understood her duties, which sometimes was to lie sleeping on top of the blanket, which covered the Bibles on the back seat uh, at the checkpoint and things like that. So, yes, um, uh, Brother Andrew was a good family friend of the Bathmans, and uh, Lenora was impressed uh, with him and the fact that her dad and Brother Andrew were very much partners. They they had different emphasis. They were both working behind the Iron Curtain, but while Bill Bathman's emphasis was evangelism, Brother Andrew's emphasis was literature. So Brother Andrew was the Bible smuggler. Uh, he, of course, did some evangelism too, and Bill Bathman was the evangelist, the preacher. He did some Bible smuggling too, but the main emphasis of Brother Andrew was Bible smuggling. The main emphasis of Bill Bathman was evangelism. And uh, they worked uh, frequently uh, together, cooperating and uh, helping one another. And to some extent, Bill Bathman provided quite a bit of the logistical hospitality support and follow-up work uh, for what Brother Andrew was doing. Brother Andrew was working much wider um, 
and his work kept going more and more uh, in different areas, whereas Bill Batten was on the ground uh, far more often in these areas and able to do a lot of the follow-up. Your father-in-law, as you've mentioned, uh, Reverend Bill Bathman, worked a lot with Brother Andrew. What recollections did he have about this remarkable man? Oh, uh, he had quite a lot of interesting ones. So uh, I remember asking uh, Bill Bathman, how did you meet Brother Andrew? And he recalled, it was 1957. I was conducting service across Europe, and that night I was in Bensheim, Germany, and I saw two new cars parked outside. Well, not new, but uh, they weren't cars, local cars. Uh, and they had Netherlands license plates. One was a VW Beetle, light blue, and the other was a 1957 Chevy. They were en route to Hungary and Poland. And so, you know, typical Bill Bathman's attention to the vehicles. He could have probably given me the registration numbers as well. Um, and that's decades later. Well, Bill Bathman remarked that sometime later, when they met to coordinate training programs and missions behind the Iron Curtain, Brother Andrew had commented on his text and sermon at night in Benzheim. 2 Peter 2.22. But it has happened now. According to the proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. And Brother Andrew says, I could never forget such an unusual text in evangelistic sermon. How do you choose these sort of titles? And you know, so obviously Bill Bathin was the preacher and uh, uh, he always had some very interesting titles for his sermons. Well, um, at another occasion, and Bill Bathin starts his book going through even if the door is closed with this, that uh, in August 1968, when the Soviets invaded Czechoslovakia, a quarter of a million people crossed the border in one day from six countries, Warsaw Pact, invaded Czechoslovakia because Czechoslovakia was trying to um, reform communism and produce communism with a human face, democratize it or something along that line, under Dubček, Alexander Dubček. And uh, the Soviets were having nothing of it. And so under Brezhnev, they just invaded. And as they were pouring across the border, uh, a, a half a million were across in, in a week. But in the first day, it was a quarter of a million. And uh, they came in by aircraft. They came by parachute. They came across in tanks and totally uh, taking over the country. And so Bill Bathman picked up the phone to phone his friend Andrew van der Bale in the Netherlands and says, I'll meet you in Vinslas Square, uh, which is the center of Prague. And... Uh, uh, he basically uh, dared him, you know, the Russians are coming to us, so let's load up with our Russian Bibles and head to them. And so uh, they went he heading across, and the people pouring out. We're talking about tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people fleeing out of Czechoslovakia uh, as the Russians were invading. And uh, they were like the only vehicles going into the country as everyone was coming out. And they had to divert, 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 because time and again they came to a border post and the Russians were already there, and that one, the Russians were already there. They had to go to the most obscure place, and um, now they were, they started in Austria, now they'd wound away all the way around to a very small little village in Germany that had a border crossing with Czechoslovakia, and the Russians hadn't quite got there. And this border guard said, don't you know what's going on in that country? And he said, we understand that Goliath has come to your country, but we're on the side of David. And uh, the the border guard Czech officer was in, in tears and he said, but aren't you afraid? And they said, we are friends in Czechoslovakia, many friends, and we need to be with our friends at this time. He gave them the forms and they got in and there were some other journalists there with the cameras and so on trying to get in and they'd been refused and they said, how do you get this right? He said, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And he gave the one-way sign pointing upwards. Um, and uh, so they managed to get into Vincela Square and Bill Bath and Brother Andrew were climbing onto Russian tanks, handing out Russian New Testaments to the invaders. So, I mean, that was just one story. 
that he mentioned. And another one that Bill Batten uh, was commenting on, the, I must say, traveling with Bill Batten was quite an experience because every bend in the road, uh, there was a story uh, about answers to prayer, every village, incidents, roadblocks, border crossings. So, I mean, Bill Batten put decades into this. So it, was, it was fascinating to, to travel with him. But um, uh, he said that he was driving in Yugoslavia and he could, and he pointed to the actual bend in the road. He said, I almost crashed my vehicle there because Brother Andrew is sitting in a passenger seat, um, told him, oh, I'm working on publishing a book. And Bill Batten was thinking, well, that's nice. You know, he's thinking maybe a devotional or something. What's the title? And uh, Brother Andrew said, God Smuggler. And Bill said he just about crashed the car there and then. He goes, he immediately realized the complications this would cause to their ongoing work with the Persecuted Church behind Iron Curtain. I mean, on the positive side, Brother Andrew's book alerted the world to the plight of persecuted Christians in Eastern Europe suffering under communism. Most people didn't even know there was a church behind Iron Curtain. And so it was a phenomenally important book. It inspired many initiatives for ministry to the neglected fields in communist countries. So uh, it was tremendously positive, but on the negative side, God smuggler could alert the communist officials and the border guards and the secret police to seriously complicate and endanger those continuing to minister in Eastern Europe and Soviet Union. Well, in a recent edition of God Smuggler, which I think was, was the 40th anniversary or the 50th anniversary of it coming out, um, it was revealed that uh, the KGB informed him as the Soviet Union had fallen and the papers had come out. Uh, Brother Andrew put in there that... A KGB official informed him, you know that your book, God Smuggler, was required reading for the KGB. Secret police were required to read it because you will learn more about the persecuted church here than you know. And uh, so, uh, yes, uh, Brother Andrew had lots and lots of stories. And, and I traveled and ministered with Bill Batten in 27 countries. So I really got to learn on the ground a ministry behind Nine Curtain, a whole generation of ministry that was going on before I was even converted. Uh, to understand of how much we had to learn from the persecuted church behind the curtain. Um, presumably you've read many of Brother Andrew's books besides um, God Smuggler. What, what things have you learned from them? Uh, did he ever address the ethics of Bible smuggling? Um, touching on Romans 13, every person must submit to the supreme authorities, etc. Must we always obey the government? Yes. Uh, in fact, that was very, very important to understand, and that became uh, key for me as well. Uh, in fact, it was... Um, uh, in Afrikaans, Ont Smokkel Babels, uh, oh, that was one of the books published and distributed by Hart Publishers, which was The Ethics of Bible Smuggling. I don't think I've ever seen it in English, um, but it must exist because I, I doubt that he wrote it in, in Afrikaans. But uh, Brother Andrew uh, addresses the ethics of Bible smuggling, pointing out that we must render to Caesar the things that are Caesar and to God the things that are God's. Not everything Caesar demands, but the things that belong to Caesar. And when Jesus was was being asked about this question, he asked for a coin. And he says, whose image is on this? Caesar's. Well, render Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. So quite clearly, Caesar gets the coin, and God gets everything else. It's not rendered to Caesar everything Caesar demands, because children aren't made an image of Caesar, they're made an image of God, and they're entrusted to parents. And so we shouldn't, what, you just think of how things work today. Most people think in terms of, Render unto Caesar everything that Caesar demands and give God the coin. I mean, basically, the, the whole emphasis is reversed. God's emphasis was render to Caesar the coin that is Caesar's and to God what belongs to God, which 
Well, everything belongs to God. So uh, speaking in a hostile environment, um, under Roman Empire occupation, our Lord Jesus said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's while showing them a coin, and to God the things that belong to God. So it's quite clear what the emphasis is. God is the king of kings, he's lord of lords, you give God everything, and Caesar can get the coin. Well, today we've got people who are thinking about entirely other way around, and they think you've got to obey everything government says. But turn to Romans 13, Romans 13, 1 to 4, and 1 Peter 2, verse 13, 14. What do they tell you? Government must be an, uh, an agent or deacon, a servant of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. They're not to be a terror to those who do good, but they're to be a terror to those who do evil. And so we are to submit to the authorities because they are servants of God to do you good. So, in fact, Romans 13 tells more to the government than it tells to us. Because telling the government they're to be God's servant, God's minister, the word is deacon, them to be a minister of justice, they are to protect the righteous, they're to punish the wicked. And they're not to be a terror to those who do good. So, in fact, when you look at the average government today, especially the ones in uh, restricted access areas, the ones that were behind the Iron Curtain and now uh, in the jihadist Muslim Middle East, well, what do you find? You find countries which are terrorists to those who do good. And uh, they sound more like Revelation 13, the beast, than Romans 13, the deacon of God. So, uh, Brother Andrew, in the Ethics of Bible Smuggling, makes it clear that God has instituted authorities. By authorities, we mean he's instituted civil government, church government, family government, personal government, or self-government. Now, that doesn't mean every single person, every single government in the world is operating with God's authority. It's, it's that he's instituted levels of government, self-government, family government, church government, civil government. Now, you must submit to your parents, correct? But are there such a thing as abusive parents? Well, sadly, yes. Um, you must submit to the leaders of the church. But could there be false ministers in the church? Oh, yes, lots and lots of false prophets, false teachers, false shepherds. And we certainly shouldn't be submitting to those who are against God. Remember, it was, it was religious leaders who crucified Christ. Sanhedrin, the high priest, the Jewish Pharisees and Sadducees, they crucified Christ. So the Lord wasn't saying you've got to submit to them. Uh, they were false ministers. They weren't true servants of Yahweh. So when, when you look at Bible smuggling, how can any government countermand the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Who has higher authority than the Lord Jesus Christ? Is there anyone on earth that can overrule the words of Christ? I've heard people say that we may not smuggle Bibles into Angola because the Angolan government has forbidden us. And when one of our missionaries, uh, Anthony Duncan, died in uh, Angola on one of these operations immediately after smuggling Bibles into Angola, uh, we had people saying, this is God's judgment on you, because you not only disobeyed the laws of Angola, but the United Nations international law. Said, oh, please show me in the Bible about United Nations international law. We'd love to hear that. But the thing is, the Lord Jesus has given us the Great Commission. Who can countermand the Great Commission? Go into all the world, make disciples of every nation. It doesn't say stop at the barbed wire fence or the iron curtain or the bamboo curtain or the landmine field. Uh, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature is a command from the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Creator, the Eternal Judge. How on earth can anybody countermand the words of the Lord Jesus? So 
Um, I'm I'm vaguely generalizing from uh, Unsmuggle Babels or We Smuggle Babels from Brother Andrew that uh, basically speaking, we, when the government commands what God commands, like don't commit murder, don't steal, then obviously they are ruling in the authority of God because they're enforcing God's Ten Commands, basic principles. But when the government forbids obeying God and commands disobeying God, like you must kill all the baby boys uh, uh, born to the Hebrews in Egypt, well, those who disobeyed Pharaoh and protected the baby boys and lied to cover it up, they were uh, honored even in Hebrews 11. Or Rahab, when she uh, protects the Hebrew scouts and spies, and uh, helps them in their to in their escape, um, she is commended. And so disobeying authorities can sometimes be righteous. In fact, the Apostle Peter said to the Sanhedrin, the very Sanhedrin who had crucified Christ, we must obey God rather than man. And so this is the whole ethics of Bible smuggling is we must obey God rather than man. Okay, some God-hating atheists to burn churches, crucify pastors, torture Christians, they have said you can't take Bibles there. But Lord Jesus says you must. So who do we obey? We must obey God rather than man. So, yes, there's a lot to learn from, from Brother Andrew. He says it's so important to, to listen to the persecuted church, to learn from them. Uh, in fact, when he got into countries where he couldn't speak the language, um, he could pull out a Bible in their language, and he could turn to a passage that he knows in English, or in Dutch, actually, in his case, and he could point there what he's trying to say. And, and, and they would have communications backwards and forwards by showing pastors in the Bible when they didn't know one another's language. I've used that quite a few times too, that you could actually get to um, a key phrase here and a sentence there in another person's language. And so the Bible can be, it's the common denominator that we can communicate with. The world has changed dramatically since those early smuggling operations behind the Iron Curtain. What did uh, Brother Andrew do after the fall of the Berlin Wall and the collapse of the Soviet Union, Dr. Hammond? Well, intriguingly enough, when the Soviet Union collapsed, uh, Brother Andrew refocused his energies on the Muslim Middle East. And uh, in his work in the Muslim Middle East, he particularly started to focus on the Palestinians. And uh, Brother Andrew communicated to me uh, uh, that, and I was totally unaware of it. He said, who do you think are some of the most persecuted people on the planet? And I'm thinking, uh, North Korea. He said, actually, Palestinian Christians. Really? He said, yes. They get persecuted by the Muslim Palestinians because they're Christians and get persecuted by the Israeli government uh, of uh, uh, Tel Aviv because they're Arabs or Palestinians. And the Christians in the West don't want to help them because they don't want to be accused of being anti-Semitic. So he said, what you've got here is some of the most neglected, persecuted Christians on earth. You can convince people to help Chinese Christians, North Korean Christians, all over the world, no problem. But try to find churches willing to help Palestinian Christians in Israel. And these people are seriously persecuted. So he, he wrote the book Life Force, which isn't near as well read as uh, God Smuggler, uh, where Brother Andrew points out the, the terrible sufferings these people are experiencing in, in uh, Palestinian areas. We talk about Gaza, the West Bank, and, and so on uh, in Israel, uh, where Christian Palestinians, and there are hundreds of thousands of Palestinian Christians, uh, and and there are brothers in Christ, but they feel awfully neglected because like Christians see them as an embarrassment they must just ignore. Of course, Muslims see them as traitors and Jews see them as Arabs. So uh, on, on every level, they are they're either hated or neglected. And so interesting enough, he's done a lot to help uh, um, uh, Muslims and Christians amongst uh, in the Muslim world, Muslim background believers. 
And so um, uh, that's where we started to get more um, uh, interacting because while I'd known Brother Andrew from Hospital Christian Fellowship and my wife's family were very good friends with him, now my mission to the Muslim world, such as Sudan, suddenly became very important for him. And so next thing was we were being sent thousands of Bibles uh, by Open Doors to deliver to Christians in Sudan. And uh, in fact, he recruited somebody who we trained and put through theological college and uh, who'd actually been in prison with me in Mozambique too. And uh, they recruited him to be their main coordinator for the work in Sudan. At one point, um, our, our worker who was now working for Open Doors in Sudan after we'd, we'd trained him to Angola, Mozambique, and, and um, put him through college. And he, is, he had done his first missions to Sudan. Uh, he was now doing their coordinating. And his vehicle, his bucky or four-wheel drive vehicle, uh, got washed away and lost in a flash flood. Now, he had camped in a dry riverbed, which may have been dry, but uh, somewhere up country there must have been a flash of rain on the mountains. And while there was no rain where he was, I woke up at night to the sound of water coming, and he got out of the way, but the vehicle got along with the tent and so on, washed away. Well, months later, we dug it out of the um, now dry riverbed again, <laughs> another season come and towed it thousands of kilometers back to the Transvaal uh, where they could get it fixed and so on. Um, one day we were given a message that um, uh, by shortwave radio, you'd get these sort of messages at our base in Sudan and uh, uh, sort of um, the code name used for open doors uh, shipment to pick up at a particular uh, airstrip. So, and they said eight o'clock, Well, we got that eight o'clock and there was a cube, a massive cube of several tons of Bibles. And there was a note on top, Dear Frontline Fellowship, please distribute these. Thank you. Open doors. And uh, that was, wow. Well, we'd got there uh, apparently an hour late because um, 8 o'clock um, in Sudan time is, um, uh, in fact, that would have been 7 o'clock in Kenya. So they'd gotten there an hour earlier because they were using Kenya time and I was using Sudan time. But they were the Bibles. Um, I mean, that's just one of the more funny occasions. So we've hosted their folks in the field. And uh, because the Muslim work, it's it's um, it's definitely the most needy mission field on earth right now. So Brother Andrew, when the Iron Curtain came down, the Berlin Wall fell, the Soviet Union collapsed, and religious freedom came to Eastern Europe, he just redirected to the most needy restricted access areas in the world, which is the Muslim Middle East, and particularly the Palestinian Christians in Israel. Are there still restricted access countries where Christians are persecuted and where Bibles are forbidden? Is there still a need for Bible smuggling today? Answers, yes, yes, and yes. Um, there are still restricted access countries. There are 66 countries of the world where Bibles are effectively forbidden. Imagine that, 66 countries. And North Korea is the most obvious. Saudi Arabia is another one. I mean, they're right at the top. But it may surprise you to hear things like the Maldives and Comores. Uh, so, and, of course, Afghanistan Thanks, America, for making a bad situation much, 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 much worse. Um, you know, gee, if Afghanistan was a bad place 20 years ago, it's a much better armed bad place today. Thanks to Biden's um, incompetence and cowardice and treachery. And uh, so Christians are being severely persecuted there too. So, yes, Bibles are being banned in many countries of the world. About 400 million Christians in the world live under governments that restrict the church and persecute Christians. So... You're talking about six, six countries, 400 million Christians need uh, help there in, in uh, persecuted countries. And so, yes, they still need for Bible smuggling today. 
And Bible smuggling is taking a very different approach. If you're still thinking of the hardcover Bibles, well, we still believe in hardcover Bibles crossing the border. And I've smuggled hundreds of thousands of Bibles into Sudan alone. But um, today, digital Bibles are quite common too. And we take an SD cards, which can have the Jesus film in Arabic, the Bible in Arabic, uh, Bible studies in Arabic, a whole lot of Bible studies and books by uh, John Calvin in Arabic, hordes of, of tracks and audios and videos and so on, uh, all on a SD card. And, you know, these 16 gigabyte SD cards can carry a massive amount of material. And so there's all kinds of Bible smuggling going on today, including audiovisual and audio Bibles and so on. So it's needed. And don't forget, one of the biggest countries on the planet in terms of population is China. And there's a lot of persecution in China. So, yes, the whole Mid Muslim Middle East, most of the 1040 window, red China, North Korea. I mean, these countries are still restricted access countries. You maintain correspondence with Brother Andrew throughout the years. Did he have any last words to share or to challenge us today? He did. In fact, uh, I've heard Brother Andrew say, if I could live my life over again, I would be a lot more radical for the Lord. And I think many people consider him radical anyway, but he reckoned, you know, I should never, ever have worried about what people think, not what churches think. It's only important what God thinks and what God says and his word. And so let's be more radical for the Lord. Let's not fear man. And um, let's truly fear God and be true to his word. Uh, just last night, unfortunately, you learned of another precious friend who has passed into eternity, Roseanne Fasaki, the daughter of President P.W. Buerta. How did she die and how did you come to know her? <sighs> Roseanne Fasaki, um, yes, the daughter of the last real Christian South African president of integrity, P.W. Buerta. Uh, she has been battling cancer and chemo for 12 years now. And uh, so uh, just on Sunday night, the 2nd of October, she passed away in hospital. Now, uh, Razan was a good friend of the family. Our family has known her for ages, and in fact, for over 30 years, we've been good friends of the family. And um, I met her something like 38 years ago first um, at the President's Mansion, um, Westbrook in Hrutisky um, Estate. Uh, and um, she's paralleled the cancer battles of my own wife, uh, Lenora. So uh, we've understood what they've been going through to quite an extent. And Razan and I have cooperated in a lot of causes like Let Me Be Your Voice uh, campaign against poaching of rhinos and life chains and evangelistic outreaches and working for reformation, praying for revival. Razan, wonderful singer. Um, uh, her and her daughter Shanna sang at our Reformation Day services at the Huguenot Monument in Frontchuk. They supported numerous of our initiatives and we supported her initiatives and causes. Razan was a tireless, enthusiastic prayer warrior, praise warrior, um, and someone who really went for action. She was often requesting more Bibles, evangelistic booklets, Christian flags on mission. And you could always depend on her. You could depend on her energy, her perseverance. She is a woman on a mission. And uh, I, I found it a tremendous blessing to be connected with the family. We published uh, back in 2019 her husband's book, Under Fire in South Africa. Her husband was part of the Personal Protection Force for President P.W. Buddha. And uh, he had an incredible experience as a policeman, including on the border and um, investigating the, uh, everything from the Plant Hollywood bombings, uh, Pagard, the St. James Massacre. And he got shot up very badly. It's a miracle he survived at all back in 1999. And uh, so uh, he, uh, imagine it was on married a man who's a bodyguard for a dad. And uh, he is a colonel in the South African police towards the end and um, uh, a good friend. 
So uh, Razan actually served in the South African Army. She volunteered. She went through the Women's College with distinction. And um, she is a very accomplished uh, singer involved in film productions. Um, newspapers and South African magazines used to call her the first daughter of the Republic of South Africa. Uh, Dr. Hammond, you've mentioned several books um, that Brother Andrew wrote. Can you just repeat the names and any others that you haven't mentioned and, any, any, and also just repeat the name of Skulk Fusaki's book and any yes. other resources? So people can contact Christian Liberty Books, www.christianlibertybooks.co.za or admin at christianlibertybooks.co.za. And God Smuggle, of course, is classic. Um, and uh, it's sold 10 million copies in 35 languages. Can you believe it? Um, so uh, God Smugglers is one under fire in South Africa by Skalk Vaskaki is another great book. Uh, Light Force is a more recent book by Brother Andrew on the ministry in the Middle East, um, reaching Christians in, um, uh, supporting Christians in Muslim background areas uh, where they severely persecuted. And there's also We Smuggle Bibles um, on the ethics of Bible smuggling. Uh, Brother Andrew has written a number of other great books, uh, but contact christianlibertybooks.co.za. Was that Life Force or Light Force? Light Force. Light Force. L-I-G-H-T. That's correct. Light Force. In closing, I'd like to quote the Revelation of John, chapter 3, verse 8. This has been mentioned several times and also was inspiration for a code name of an operation that was mentioned in the show. I have set before you an open door which no one can shut. Thank you very much for joining us for From the Frontline. God bless and good night.